I'm Sam Mitchell, and these are my stories. Hi, folks. I had a good day today, and let me the first welcome you to Autism Rocks and Rolls. Now, before we begin, I must note that I am not a doctor psychiatrist. If you're certain darn she diagnosed with autism, please see a physician, at least based on my experiences. I'll start on the right to the intro and outro. They're both found on danielbooking.com and mediafiresound.com. I also have a mission today I'd like to review with all of you. The mission of Autism Rocks and Rolls is to take the negative stigma off of autism and other conditions. People on the spectrum do not need to be fixed. Those with conditions or abilities not to be pitied, there's nothing to be sorry about. But before we get to the pay for the following, we have a new podcast to talk about for a minute. It's called The Fire Breathing Kittens, but I'm not going to be talking about them. The hosts themselves will be talking about themselves. So let's hear about them. Are you itching for a good story? Laughter among friends, maybe even a mystery or two? Well, you're in luck. Fire Breathing Kittens is a standalone Dungeons & Dragons podcast. Each episode is a separate three-hour-long story, like a movie for your ears, so you can listen to these adventures in any order that you like. So, join us on a real-play D&D quest as we solve mysteries, attempt comedic banter, and enjoy friendship. Fire Breathing Kittens podcast. Fantasy action. Mystery. Friendship. Alright, thank you guys. It is a pretty cool podcast because I definitely did check out couple episodes myself and i do have some paid for the following those with different abilities can gain access to supported resources through stone belt with its roots in south central indiana this organization has been operating since 1958 there is more to stone belt services than just benefiting customers it has resulted in changes it is a great experience to work with indiana's piece by piece aba center family run piece by piece values children and families in order to empower parents and help young children to reach their full potential evidence-based practices are used it's serve several cities, including Fort Wayne, Lebanon, Lafayette, Crawfordsville, Cloverdale, and Frankfort, all in Indiana. To learn more, visit their website or contact your local branch. A thrilling experience awaits you. There is a pressing need to discuss farm CBD oil in Bedford, Kentucky. Their CBD oil is made with ingredients derived from agriculture, chemistry, quality, and engineering. Hemp production must exceed industry expectations. We at Farm CBD place a high value on quality. The oil industry combines agricultural, pharmacy, chemistry, and engineering. Their mission is to surpass industry expectations in hemp production. Moreover, Guthrie's Creek Butchery deserves more attention. Our Bedford, Indiana butcher shop prides itself on maintaining obsolete and perishing butcheries, so when you shop with us, you can feel secure. Bloomington, Indiana is the home of Safeguard Company on Kirkwood Avenue. They have the capability of accommodating temporary business and security needs. Those seeking to enter the business world should look at safeguards for regulations. The Yoho General Store is another topic I must cover. This business, owned by Marcy Cook, is a popular destination in Greene County. It is a general shop and restaurant famed for its superb ice cream and food with the southern influence. Feel free to visit this magnificent location. Now need to discuss Shipley Drywall. They are based in Bloomfield, Indiana and provide assistance with your home. We treat your home like it's ours, as they say. Call them at 812-825-1893 if you require any house repairs. Both you and they will benefit from this service. I now want to talk about Bedford's Brewery, Salt Creek Brewery. It's a craft beer brewery with live entertainment. The fact that everything is completed in a workshop is really cool, but what distinguishes this location is you won't forget your experience there, so you should go there. My Buffalo Wings and Rings in Bedford, Indiana are the next item on the list. You won't be upset by them making it the best wings and rings ever. You will leave this establishment with a smile on your face because of the welcoming environment and employees. Finally, stop by Kona, which is close to Bloomington, Indiana. The Kona in Bloomington is fantastic because it never lets you down. The seamless does not let you down given that they deliver excellent shaved ice in every aspect. 
They're starting to serve seasonal flavors for the fall, such as pumpkin pie. Do some highlights, grab a cold treat, or wave when you locate them. Now, there are some people I'd like to thank. First, I'd like to thank my amazing guests I had last time, Tamika Lamison, and C219 on the silver screen with Tamika Lamison, but she is pretty awesome. Be sure to check out her episode. The previous two Mondays, my mother and I did the annual special needs night with Perry and Renee Fowler. It was a fulfilling day that I am sure made the volunteers and customers feel good. On the flip side, I do need to mention a tragedy that happened in our community. One of our proud Thunderbirds has tragically passed away. I will not say the name out of respect for family and friends, but I will say to our community, do your best to keep our heads high and yes, forever number one. And I did another small business virtual extravaganza networking event through MBX. Even stayed for two days this time instead of one. I made some great friends. And since the last episode, I've been on two podcasts. I was on the Turnkey Podcast with Doug Sandler and the He Shenanigans Podcast with Scott Hullett. What awesome podcasts. Be sure to check them out. Typically, I would do an ad. And I'm still going to, but I need to inform everyone who is listening. Due to some circumstances with the episode that we will be doing in a minute, we had to do back-to-back ads. So you will be hearing an ad from the Bar on Maryland Ridge for Bobcat Ellsville and Rise Autism Therapy all in one. So let's get to it and hear these amazing services they offer. There is a hidden gem in eastern Greene County, folks. Fowler's Pumpkin Patch and the Barn on Maryland Ridge Wedding Barn. Autism Rocks and Rolls is very proud to tell you about our friends, Perry and Renee Fowler, and their place of business. Both Fowler Pumpkin Patch and the Barn on Maryland Ridge is a relaxing drive approximately 15 minutes from the heart of Bloomington, Indiana, and an hour south of Indianapolis. You can find them at 5347 South Greene County Line Road, Bloomington, Indiana, 47403. The property has numerous picture locations including several rolling fields, antique tractors, red and rustic barns, trees, and much more. Customized wedding packages are offered on their website. The surrounding area also provides several hotels in which to have your guests stay for your destination wedding. Also, Fowler's Pumpkin Patch is a family-owned and operated seasonal pumpkin patch. It's the perfect place to take your family for some fall fun. Enjoy picking out pumpkins, hay rides, a corn maze, and a petting zoo. Call the Fowlers today at 812-327-4895 or 812 Are you wanting to do construction in your life? If so, Bobcat in Ellettsville, Indiana is the place for you to work. For 60 years, Bob Curl and the other six locations have been offered as a resource to construction equipment and sales. They can provide you with Bobcat equipment, Bronkite trailers, Phil Power Tools, Echo Outdoor Power Equipment, Renmax Power Equipment, and Xmark Commercial Mowers. They also carry the products that are called Xaviators, Compact Track Loaders, Skid steer loaders, Versa handler, telescope tool carriers, all-wheel steer loaders, utility vehicles, and toolcat utility work machines, plus a wide section of attachments. Be sure to use their services and give them a call at 800-825-9132. RISE is a new ABA center committed to serving children and teenagers from 2 to 16 in Bloomington and Evansville, Indiana. They value quality of care over anything else. That is why their BCBAs have small caseloads so that your child is a priority. We are dedicated to supporting families and our community to make an impact that is lasting. The small clinic size allows them to be available for you. They want to help make your family's life better and more enjoyable. To book a session, call them at 812-287-8561. Or if you have any questions, please email them at admin at riseautism.com. All right, folks, we're back. And yes, if you check them out, you'll definitely hear the words I do at the wedding barn. You go to the Bobcat in Ellisville, you might find some Bobcats. You never know. 
If you go to Rise Autism Therapy Services, you will definitely rise to the occasion. So in this episode, we actually have parents of those who are raising a child with autism. Now you think four was big. Well, we have more because we not only have five, we not have six, not even seven, but we have eight parents total. And these are the parents. So parent number one is Samuel Hutchins. Samuel Hutchins is the founder and the president of the Hope for Xavier Foundation. The goal for this foundation is to promote empowerment and awareness for his nonverbal son who is on the autism spectrum. He is also the founder of Dream Out Loud 2000. Established in 2008, the goal of this nonprofit is to empower the value of higher education to youth at an early age. Parent number two is Alexis McClure. Alexis works at Paragon Wellness Solution and is the proud mother to a girl who is on the spectrum but is also nonverbal. But no matter what stands in her way, she always does what is best for her daughter. Parent number three would be Curtis Moffitt. Curtis is a husband and a father, also, as he says, a weird guy. Curtis was a pastor until he became a teacher. Teaching four years in Texas and then moving to Indiana to be part of my community, he is not only an eighth grade science teacher, but has four kids, and one of his four kids is on the autism spectrum. The next parent is AJ Ali, or she's called Amy. She is a 42-year-old married mother of two girls. Her eldest is 16 and is on the spectrum. She was diagnosed with a sensory processing disorder at two and a half years old. Both her and her husband work full-time but luckily has understanding employers. She was able to come to work late once a week to take her to occupational therapy. Her husband was able to leave work early once per week to take her to speech therapy. At the time, we took her to a private daycare and had the best lady who was heavily involved in our processes with her and was the absolute best. When her children were four and one and a half, they moved to Indiana due to a work transfer. They had to find a daycare, a pediatrician, to get referred to a new speech therapist and an occupational therapist, which she said was very hectic. She said stated before that kindergarten was tough and the middle school years would be the hardest, as a pediatric psychiatrist said. That psychiatrist was incredibly accurate. Not only they were going through the middle school years, but they also went through the year when COVID hit. The next parent is Sherry Hatfield. While she has no relation to autism, she does have an amazing story. She and her husband have two biological children and adopted three children. The two children she adopted were special needs. One of her child, Michelle, had an open heart surgery in China, but is now a corporal in the United States Marine. The other child, Mason, came to her with two clawed feet and with a condition called arthrogryposis. Mason had many years of physical and occupational therapy. Doctors said he would be in a wheelchair, but today he is not only not in a wheelchair, but graduated as a valedictorian and goes to Indiana University. We also have Minnie Marie Bartlett. She is a wonderful wife and mother to four kids, her second oldest son, Xander, is 19 and has autism. Her and her family have had the fight for his educational rights for nine years, and each time they have won with the help of a great team. Next, we have Amanda Hammer, another member of my community. She is also a lovely mother to a daughter and a son who is on the autism spectrum. Her son has had to overcome many obstacles, but they have all done it together as a family. Next, we have Martin Salama. Martin is known as the architect of the Warriors Life Code. He specializes in people who are frustrated in their quick shift mindset to uncover the greatness. Even though he's an amazing entrepreneur, he has a child who has been diagnosed with autism. Despite all of his success, he is still a great father who always stays humble. Finally, we have Marcia Nathaniel Balikasun. Located in the Caribbean, she is a mother to a brain-injured, bedridden girl who has been her best teacher in the last decade. She also runs a podcast called the Special Needs Parent Podcast to help other parents thrive despite challenges by sharing what experience they have gone through as a mother or a father with special needs. So let's welcome all these amazing people to Autism Rocks and Rolls. So how's everyone doing today? Doing good? Yeah. Good. Doing, doing well. wonderful. So my first question to all of you is, 
what does having a son or a daughter with a condition mean to you? Oh, Joy. An eye-opener to life. An eye-opener to life. How so? It makes you definitely appreciate every day and its view and taking not even the smallest things for granted. Absolutely. It's made you a better person, hasn't it? Yes. I agree. I would definitely say that it definitely taught me patience. I wasn't a very patient person before my daughter came into my life. I would say as far as making me a better person, absolutely. I definitely made me a better person. And I don't have any children granted, but having autism, I think, made me a better person. It gave me a different perspective on life, to piggyback off what someone said earlier. It made you have a greater appreciation for the smaller things because... Xavier is nonverbal and he has a seizure condition. He's a pretty big guy. He's six foot four, 348 pounds, but he has such a gentle nature about himself. It's been my testimony that my belief in God was between little and none, but I see a six foot four miracle every day now. Brought me closer to God. It's been everything for me and my focus and vision, everything changed because I was just an easygoing guy, which I pretty much still am, but I didn't really have what was called a focus. I was taking so much for granted. But when Xavier came into my life, he'll be 30 years old, November 16th. The things that we've been through, it made me into a person that I didn't know existed. And I didn't know I had it within me to take care of it because it was not something that I had seen. But there's been some life events that I reflected on going back as far as 10 years old that I understand now. But yeah, it definitely has enhanced my life. And I don't look at it as a burden. I look at it as a blessing. I do too, man. Now, where did this nickname though come from? I heard about this nickname called The Big Dirty. (laughs) because when we used to do the Special Olympics every year in high school and because of his size, one of the things about him is called his agility and he's real light on his feet. We were out there and of course the football team was the one that was like helping out. He took off running and they couldn't catch him. And they said, man, he's with that kind of speed and agility, he would be an awesome offensive, I mean, defensive end, the lineman. And they said, yeah, he, they said, yeah, he would be down there with the big uglies. I said, well, we can't call him the big ugly. I said, we'll just call him the big dirty. And even before then, his nickname, we used to call him the big. So we just added the big dirty onto it and uh, it kind of stuck. Everybody likes, likes that name, the big dirty. I do too. We call my grandfather Biggie. Or Big Joe, so okay, yeah, it kind of works in a sense there. Yeah, it works. It works. Like I said, he's six foot four, three hundred forty-eight pounds, wearing a size sixteen shoe. He's just as easy going as he can be. That's shorter than me. I wear like I think I'm in the men's. Just started in it. I think <laughs> took, took a long time for me to get to the men's size shoes. I was too short for it. We both wore the same size shoe. I wore nine and a half. He wore nine and a half, but he didn't wear a nine and a half for about, about three months, and then he went to an eleven. I yeah, thought big. my boy was big. Now I know he's not. (laughs) Minnie, I want you to start off with this one for us. So what were your initial thoughts when you learned that you were going to have a son with a condition? So we knew pretty early. Xander was diagnosed at 18 months with PDD-NOS at three and a half with classic autism. For the first diagnosis, it was, okay, what do we have to do to get help? How do we make sure that he meets these milestones? So it was a go, 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 go mode. When we got the classic autism diagnosis at three and a half, it was crushing. I think I cried for about three days before I was able to kind of pull up my bootstraps and be like, okay, nothing's changed. We just have a word now. Once I got through that, we were able to really push through and work on getting all of the services in place and make sure that we were doing what we needed to do. We did a whole bunch of research. It was a big learning curve and it was 
a big growing curve. So Andy, my husband is also on the spectrum. And they told us when we got pregnant the first time that we had a one in four chance of having a child on the spectrum. We have four kids and Xander's our one. Wow. I'm surprised to learn that your husband's on the spectrum, to be honest with you. I'm not saying like, it's not bad. I just didn't notice if that makes any sense. He worked real hard to make sure that wouldn't happen. Wow. Well, he did a good job masking it. And I'll tell you that much. <laughs> but in all seriousness, I'm going to make you feel better. You said you felt down. I feel you. My mother said she felt down for a couple of days. And I think just was in that pity stage of, I mean, I, he, is he going to make it? Is he going to go to college? Is he going to be successful? Is he going to get married? I mean, is he going to be able to live a great life? And all of those thoughts come crushing to you, like in one minute, you have this panic mode that you go into that you're like, oh my gosh, what does this mean for the future? Who's going to take care of him? What does this mean? Is he going to talk? Is he going to love anyone? Is anybody going to love him? Like all of these thoughts come rushing at you so fast. It's almost like you don't have time to process them. So your way of processing through them is to cry through them or to get mad through them or whatever emotion is easiest at that second. Yeah, because you don't know. Like you said, you don't know what the future entails for your son. And as a parent, I think that's the hardest thing to worry about. Your journey sounds a lot like mine because Xavier's initial diagnosis was called PDD, which is called pervasive developmental disorder, because he was displaying things that would have him on the spectrum. But at the same time, he was doing stuff that said that, well, if he's autistic, he shouldn't be able to do this or he shouldn't yep. be able to do certain things, so which is why they didn't want to go with autism right away. But the official diagnosis, sort of much like what you did, it came when he was like three and a half and they said, I think we're just going to have to go ahead and say yes, that it is autism. I had no idea what that entailed. Like you, I just dove into everything that I could find about autism. And one of the things that I did find out was that early intervention is the absolute key to the quality of life that will happen for the child later on. And that is one of the things that we hope for Xavier Foundation with the, the information that we give out and the Black Tie Get Us, one of the things that we are always telling people, do not wait. We've got a, a pamphlet and a, a booklet that we give away that's had like the 10 signs of autism. And I tell anybody, if you see two of those signs on there, go get your child diagnosed, go get them checked. Because what happens in a lot of times, I don't know about where you guys are, but here in Georgia, they were real big with the Ritalin and all those other kind of drugs is that you'll wait till they're five, six, seven, eight years old and then the school's going to say, well, we're going to have to put him on some kind of medication because he's disrupting the class or just not fitting in. I would not let them do that for Xavier because one, we had a barrier that we had to go, Xavier can't talk. So if the medicine was making him sick, he couldn't tell me that the medicine was making him sick. Or if it was doing something to his vision, he couldn't tell me any of that. So I just told them, no, I fought really hard. I mean, there was no drug for Xavier when it comes to that behavior drug that they call it, especially with the original. And now that we, we go 30 years past when they were trying to use it, look at the data on it, it didn't really help any of the people. It didn't. It absolutely didn't. We were lucky because of the diagnosis, because of the time that it came, and because of Andy's past diagnosis and my background in special education. Yeah. We felt like we got a head start and jumped ahead of that. And we already had first steps in place for our oldest child who had a speech delay. So yeah. we got that early intervention. Like they're the ones that recognized it and they were like, you need to get him tested. You know, we were suspecting, but we were really blessed. 
Xavier's mom is the one who kept it insisting that something was not right because I couldn't see it because the classic is that they're not, they don't interact, they don't do this, they don't do that. But when I came through the door every day, Xavier ran to me. And so when she was saying that, she says, is something just not right? I said, what do you mean? She said, he doesn't look at me straight. He doesn't look at me and he doesn't say anything. And of course, I was did like most people do. I reasoned away. Oh, he will later. He will later. And then his motor skills were great. Xavier was walking at eight months. Karen, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but my belief, Sam, is you can still have great motor skills. And I don't think you need speech, maybe. I'm not saying I don't want it. I mean, I have the privilege of having the honor of yeah. talking. But if I didn't have it, I think I could live with it. Yeah, but again, to your point, Sam, that was why I didn't recognize because I was saying his motor skills are great, so I didn't know what she was talking about. And then one day, there was a moment that I seen it for myself, and then I pretty much went into, what can I do? I got to do something because, again, the early intervention, and I'll be forever for grateful for his mom for assistance because we got into a program called Babies Can't Wait. I don't know if you guys have that in Indiana, but it's here in Georgia. It's called Babies Can't Wait where they send you down to what's called the market center and they evaluate and do all, and do all of that good stuff. And that's why I say I will forever be grateful for her for insisting that because she would not let it go. So when we did go and that's when we found out and put us on this journey back in 1994. I was like you. I had no idea. Apparently my mom, my daughter was two when the subject was first brought up. She was my first kid and I just wasn't a very natural mother like some people are like oh you'll know when they get here I had no idea I had to learn everything okay so first off my mom and my sisters called me on a group call to finally to admit tell me that maybe we need to have her checked so my first question to them was okay I'll have her checked how long have y'all been talking about this before you told me wow. they're like oh about a month I'm like I would have gone a month ago so yeah. I told him, yeah. like, next time, just tell me. And that's how our whole process oh. kicked off. For my daughter, we didn't find out until she was about 13 or 14 years old. And it was after our divorce and I was living in New York. And she started to show some signs. And first they said Asperger's. Then they said, uh, which is part of it, because she's always been high functioning and always mm -hmm. been, you know, mainstream. We thought what we understood to be mainstream until we saw some of the signs. And I think a lot of it came out while we were going through the divorce because she felt a little bit of abandonment because not only did I get divorced, her older sister got married, her older brother moved out of the house. So she started to feel some of that abandonment issues. First, we were in denial. We're like, how could that be? She's 12, 13. How do we not know it from before? When she went off, we finally was able to get through the systems in New Jersey where we lived at the time to get the IEP, to, to get her diagnosed for the schools and sent her to a great school in Utah for a residential therapeutic home. And there they, they came up with a diagnosis of PDA, which is not really recognized, but it's, it stands for pathological demand avoidance. And I said, well, most kids don't want to do what you tell them to do. And they're like, no, it's to the extreme here. When she's told to do something, she shuts down and her stomach will start hurt. And over the years, since then, she's 23, almost 24 now, we've learned to understand it. And back to a question you were learned or you asked earlier, my mindset around those all changed. And I used to be very, very impatient in general. And because of what I learned with her, I learned the more I talk calmly with her, the better we communicate. I would agree with you, Martin, because with me, with my parents, I mean, if you like scream at me and like get angry with me, one, I'll shut down. Two, I'll get back at you. And it's not because I want to. It's just, 
you know, human nature. That's the way it is with Dallas. If you get irate with him, he's going to get very aggressive and he's going to yell back. And I honestly appreciate the calmness that I get because I think some, it, it takes patience to get there, I think, but also takes patience for yourself to get there. Absolutely. I was somebody that reacted to everything to the point that was like a nuclear reactor. So as I went through life coaching, one of the things I learned was I was reacting to everything and I needed to learn how to respond and change my life. And having my daughter, Claire, as someone that I needed to utilize those skills with gave me the opportunity to get there faster. Now, I want to ask Marsa this. So Marsa, my question is, what were your initial thoughts when you learned that you were going to have a daughter that was going to have a condition? Our experience was a little bit different. We didn't know that we had a daughter who was going to be sick. We only discovered that after she was born. My husband is a biology teacher. And so after she was born, I was counting fingers and got an extra finger. I kept saying to him, is it the drugs? Because I'm not adding up correct. So he came over and he checked and he got this sixth finger on one hand and he started to cry. And I said, you know, why are you crying? This is like, who cries for an extra finger? He said, no, this finger says a lot because when you have an extra finger, often it means that internal organs are misformed. And so he asked the doctors to go back and check because nobody had told us anything was off. And they found four problems in her heart. So when she was eight months old, she had worsened to the point where she was at risk of stroke and seizure. She wasn't getting oxygen to her body. And we had to do open heart surgery. Unfortunately, the open heart surgery went well, but some doctor pulled out a tube and she bled out. That caused her to flatline for 20 minutes so that her brain got massively damaged. So at eight months, she became vegetative. When she did come back to us from the coma, she was vegetative and seizing. And they told us that there was really no hope for her and that we should withdraw food and allow her to go. But she had come back to us when we prayed. We had prayed after 20 minutes of massaging her heart and trying to get it to start. And it wasn't starting. And my husband and I held hands and we prayed. And we just said, God, we want Emma back. And he did. But come back the way we thought she would be, right? She came back as a perfect little person, but this perfect little person didn't match our idea of perfection. And when we said, no, no, we are not going to do that. They said, well, put her in a home and move on with your life because your child is going to be a log in a bed. And again, this is when you have to stand back and say, what is my heart? What is What am I being guided within myself to do? And that is God speaking through me, I think. Thankfully, both Sean and I had the same feeling. This is our child. It will always be our child. I'm not going to think about convenience, even if it's hard. But it was scary. It didn't follow any of the rules. The rules were, since I was small, work really hard, do really good work, be a kind person, and life will treat you well, right? So there I was, a lecturer in a university, ticking all the boxes and trying to be kind and trying to be a good mommy to my son, who was five at that time, and taking all the things to have a healthy pregnancy, you know, following all the rules. And then life just suddenly takes a 180. And people look at you and they say, statistically, your child is worth less now. So pull the plug on her. And at that so point... I interject, but that is a load of BS right there. My friend, that say is that not true. Yeah. She is worth more yeah. than ever. I think that without us walking this path, 
we would not have learned the lessons we learn and we would not be able to support the people we support. Unless you walk through the darkness and find your way through, you don't get to light the path for somebody else. You don't know how to lead somebody else through. It took seven years of a lot of personal pain, a lot of loss of what I felt was important to me. The rules change. I don't care if physical things are lost, if material things are lost. I came back home after about three months in the States with her because it happened in the States and I live in the Caribbean in Trinidad and Tobago. And when I came back, I had had an aunt who had gone through all of my personal possessions and had edited those possessions, let's put it kindly. Up to today, I do not know what's there, what's not there, because it does not matter. My child matters. The love of my family matters. She was diagnosed as blind. She had lost all of her senses and her ability to suck and swallow. We put in a, a G-tube to feed her. And we just said, you know what? If hope dies within us, then all her prospects die. And I'm so glad that was the one guiding light for us, that we had to keep showing up so that she would have the chance to do as much as she could do. And I can't predict what that will be, but I don't think that's the secret of this journey. This journey is about loving your child, supporting your child. And somewhere in there, when you lose sight of who you are, because that definitely happened for me, I felt trapped, I felt scared, I felt resentful. For the first year that I came back, Mm -hmm. my very closest family and friends never visited. Everybody left us alone. It was extremely painful for them. And so they didn't want to show up for us. And when your whole world breaks down and you find that you don't even have a social person to support you, that makes it even worse. So we learned how to find hope inside ourselves. We learned how to see in Emma what her purpose was. Her name is Emma Lucia Priscilla. Long story to go with that long name, but it means ancient universal light. And that child shines a light so bright. She's taught me how to forget about anybody who talks about developmental stages, who talks about expectations, who talks about rules, who talks about judgment from some external place. I've dumped all of that so long ago. And as a university lecturer, I certainly was all about, okay, this month, what should she do? Let's see if she's ahead of the curve because it was some comparison thing for me with my first child. With this one, no comparison is possible, but freedom has come because I've been able to ditch all of that stuff. So I used to wake up for several years. I pretended that I was okay to my husband. And at two and three in the morning, I would wake up and I'd be crying by myself in the room, feeling like I was so alone, like nobody loved me. Why, why, why were they rejecting me? Why they were rejecting my child? Why would God let this happen to her? She's so innocent. What kind of life is this? Et cetera, et cetera. And I would actually pray sometimes not to wake up. I'd say, you know, God, please don't make me wake up. I didn't have the guts to do it myself. So I asked him to do it for me. And I think all of that is a rock bottom that I had to reach for me to then say, listen, is there more to life than this? And I agree. And I hate to interject, but you said, Marcy, you didn't have a community who loved you. You have one right now. I'll tell you that much. So I've learned from M because one morning I woke up and as my eyes opened, all of the weight came in and I was like, oh, same old day, same old routine. Here we are living it again, right? Because she's in the room and I have to do the exact same things and I have to pray that she doesn't atrophy and I have to 
try to develop eyesight and try to develop voice and all of those things. I remember being weighed down by all of these things that I was judging externally. And through all of my darkness came a little voice that was laughing. A little tinkling laugh came through and she was laughing at the top of her lungs. Realized that I was mourning the loss of my child yes. and I was suffering because of what I had decided was the right way life had to be. Exactly, but because there is no right way of life. I think no matter what, you can build your own yeah. self and make your own army. And Emma, who had lost all the things, right? Wasn't crying, not even for a second. She was showing up every single day, opening her eyes and saying, what a wonderful day it is. I'm so clear on my purpose. I'm so clear on what I have to do and be in this world. And I'm showing up 100% as me. And that day, I changed the way I showed up. That's an incredible story. Have you written a book? I wrote it last year called Lighting the Path. Because wow. just the way you tell it, hold on, I'm going to take a picture of this. Hold that up so I don't forget. Thank you. Because I don't want to forget what it's called. Because the way you express this story is very, very moving. It's beautiful. To me, I think it's about we don't have to pretend to always only feel the happy. Because this isn't only an up journey. Unless mm -hmm. we feel the downs, we don't get to feel the extreme highs of the highs, right? You don't get Absolutely. to appreciate so, one. Yeah, they, they balance each other out. You have to the lows help you appreciate the highs. What I realized I was doing is I was living in a numb middle ground. It was safer for me to numb myself out because then I didn't get my heart torn out every time something else went wrong with them mm -hmm. or somebody else rejected me or, you know, whatever. When, when a doctor treated my child as a subhuman, those things hurt. But then I realized, listen, you are not experiencing life. You're not showing up for your own life. And all of a sudden, your own value in yourself is disappearing. So I, I wrote the book because I wanted to be open about the hard stuff. And I wanted to say it's okay to feel these things. You're not a bad parent if you feel these things. You're human. So the book was therapeutic for you as well. Is that what you say, if I'm hearing correct? The therapy, I think, came before I used to write all the pain and all the, the horrible thoughts and the everything. Yeah. Those didn't come into the book. That was when I had to heal. On the end of the healing came the book because after that pain had been passed through, I was able to say, okay, I remember these things and I'm telling it to you. And here are the things I'm ashamed about of myself as a parent, but I'm still sharing it because I want you to see it's okay to have those things too. And then I also talked about, so what's important to you? How do you build your best life and not feel guilty that you want more to life? I am Emma's mom, but I'm more than Emma's mom. I came here with a big purpose. No, I'll tell you one thing you are, a sweet lady. An incredible human being is what she is. Now, this next question is actually, I want Curtis to start off. So Curtis, you're on. So my question for you is, based on your observations with your son, how do you think some with a disorder, or in your case, an autistic brain operates? I love the way his brain operates. It's always something new. It's always something exciting. It's always, I find myself going, that's not where I thought we were going to be going. Or I don't know how you got that from this. At the very beginning, you guys were talking about like describing life. It's a new adventure almost daily. Some of the, uh, his name is Isaac. We, I wanted that name for a long time because it means laughter. When my wife and I decided to name him Isaac, it's been nothing but. There are times he's up to it daily. I think there are moments, like right now, 
you know, I'm getting a text message talking about his grades being not so great, but that's usually because he just doesn't turn stuff in. So when I ask him about it, his comments make me laugh. And as a teacher in the same school district as my kids go to, it doesn't make it easy for me. But uh, Sometimes I agree with the teachers and sometimes I don't, but I got to keep my mouth shut. I think overall, daily, it's a laughter. He cooks for us. He's always talking about to me about anime and I, I don't understand the words that are coming out of his mouth, but I, <laughs> I, I try to smile and go with it. I'm grateful for every day. I mean, hearing y'all stories and stuff. Oh, I, there were moments I, when we first started seeing things, he was very young, but there were moments like in early elementary, one of his teachers told us she went to him and called him by name and he held his hand up to her face and he looked off into the corner of the room and after a few seconds, he put his hand down and said, okay, I was playing a movie in my head. Like these are just moments that bring us laughter. So he and I were talking about today, we went to the doctor this morning to have a checkup and he and I were talking about it and some of the comments between him and the doctor made the doctor and I both laugh and chuckle and his references to a floor in the doctor's office being more comfortable than the bed in his room makes me laugh. I don't look at his life as a challenge. I look at it as a new adventure almost daily. He wanted to be a chef and then now he wants to be a voice actor so it's just pursuing those dreams and finding ways of making it real so he doesn't view it that way at all i was odd when i was a kid and i think we're both just goofs hey curtis yeah i heard you make the comment talking about his grades and how he sees things differently and how his grades aren't the greatest right now and stuff speaking from one autistic parent to another and this is maybe me where mine's a little bit younger still the grades are expectations they already have enough from doctor's offices and doctors mm. and everything and stuff in between so as parents and this is just where my mindset sometimes goes um you know what they're going to school and they're trying and they're putting in at least some kind of effort but coming home still happy every day doing things that brings them joy and laughter why have expectations on certain things you know why do they have to make a's and b's the goal is as parents to try to help them be self-dependent and just live life not necessarily with expectations Oh, yeah. No, I understand. I think for me, I guess just being a, a teacher, I think sometimes it's more like when I look at his grades, if it's it's not so much the content and the knowledge, I don't really worry about that. I even tell my own students, look, C's average. Don't get overwhelmed with a letter. Don't get overwhelmed with an A or a B. And I know my family and I, we don't have the expectations that everybody should make straight A's. I teach my students that college is not for everybody. There are trades, there are academies, there's jobs, there's all kinds of opportunities now than there ever has been. But I know for Isaac, we don't hold a, you got to make A's and B's. That doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother us at all. I think for him, it's if his grades are low, I would say 95% of the time, he's just not turning something in. It doesn't bother me as far as the letter goes. It bothers me. You've done the work, but you just don't give it to her. And I'm trying to figure out, like, are you mad? Or are you just kind of well, Yeah, no, I appreciate it. And that makes a lot more sense as a parent standpoint, but also as a teacher standpoint. I respect you and applaud you because I couldn't even begin that struggle of both sides. Oh, yeah, no. I, don't, a, I mean, and that's the thing, too, is like as a teacher, I don't give homework. I just don't believe in homework. That's just me personally. By the way, Curtis, JFK was a C student. 
I was a C student and I turned out amazing. <laughs> so I know like when I went to college, I got an A one time and the professor was my mentor. And I told him like, I'm leaving. Like I'm walking out of the class. I'm going to go have lunch. I'm just, I'm celebrating by leaving. I'm probably odd in, in my classroom is I don't, I, I see enough anxiety and I see enough stress from these kids trying to live up to mom and dad's dream, trying to compete with their friends. I don't like seeing that. So if a kid makes a C, that's wonderful. If a kid makes a D, I even joke over talent and tell them like when I was a kid, there were no Ds. So we've lowered the bar for all of you. Now you can all have a D and pass. It doesn't bother me. The great stuff doesn't bother me. I know for some people, I see some kids saying like they're crying almost if they get less of it. And to me, I'm, that's sad. But for my children, it's more of trying to help them stay organized just in life in general, trying to be respectful, trying to stay kind to everybody, just simple things like that. Because life after school is so much different. So I can say that. I'm trying. I was just going to say thank you for everything you're doing. And especially teaching those kids in the classroom from the soonest you can of he's okay. You know, yeah. expectations are okay. You don't have to be that perfect individual because there's no such thing. That's right. Absolutely. I like this. Now, I want to ask Sherry this, though. I got my next questions for Sherry. So Sherry, I want to know this from you and anyone else can chime in with her as well. What is the most rewarding and the most difficult part of raising a son or a daughter with a condition? Well, my journey is so much different from everybody else's because I had two biological children and I adopted four. My last two were adopted from China through special needs. And my son that uh, Sam is referring to, his name is Mason. And he's the one with arthroposis, the connective tissue disorder. What I noticed mainly in him growing up was we'd be at a restaurant or something, and I would see in the people's faces that they were seeing the handicap while I was seeing the overcoming and everything that he had gone through to get where he was. I saw him prospering, and they were looking at the maybe the deficit in his physical ability where it was just phenomenal where he really actually was. For me, it, it was, I don't like to use the word challenge. It, there, there were times that there were struggles, but overall, it was a blessing. Sherry, that definitely hits home for me. When I sometimes get down about the things Emma isn't able to do or some regression that's happening, sometimes I stop and I remember where we started. And then the phenomenal progress just washes away all of the sadness and all of the doubt and all of the pain because we get to celebrate how far she's come. If you keep your eyes on that, sometimes we're human beings and we see in the eyes of others what they are seeing or maybe even simply by something they've said. If we keep concentrating on the progress. But that's hard to stay concentrating on that blessing i mean sometimes it just kicks you down though there are times that you do get down but in my case i knew that mason had well i didn't know the disease that he had but i knew that he had the handicaps when i adopted him and yet when i looked on his little face when the caseworker handed me his file i knew he was my son it was strange because he was across the world but god let me know in my heart that's my son so I knew that he was going to come and there were going to be issues that we had to handle. So having known that, uh, they first thought he had brachial plexus palsy. And then through going to different places like Shriners Children's Hospital in Chicago, we learned the true diagnosis was arthrogryposis. And what you'll learn is connective tissue has a memory. 
you will work and work and work to get something where it needs to be. And if you don't stay completely on top of it daily, it returns back to where it was. So yes, sometimes it is hard to stay focused on the blessing. I'm not going to say there weren't days that didn't happen to me, but overall, that's what I always tried to stay focused on. And I am a very firm believer in God. And I really feel like he walked hand in hand in this journey with us. Sherry, I'm curious. Can you tell us some of Mason's blessings? As I said, he has arthrogryposis. And for those of you who tuned in after I spoke earlier, he had two club feet. His arms were pronated. He wasn't able to walk. He was two years old when I adopted him. He crawled by using the backs of his wrists to crawl on. But we started out with surgery to correct his feet and then to release his knee that was scissored up against his body. And one day he was sitting in my living room and he was probably three by now. And he just looked at me and he said, Mom, I'm going to walk. And I said, okay. He walked from the couch where he was over to me. Since then, he has been walking. He was a doctor at Riley's, told me that he'd be in a wheelchair by the time he was 11. He's not in a wheelchair. He graduated valedictorian. He's going to IU to become a doctor. It's just been abundant blessings. The one thing about Mason is he has a heart for God, and he makes everyone around him smile. Everyone who knows Mason, they all say, look at his smile. It just makes me happy to be around him. Sherry, I agree, but as one you're missing... He's sometimes a clown. He is funny half the time. Oh, yes. I know very many times he was the class clown. I know that. But (laughs) he gets enjoyment out of hearing others laugh. I enjoy that, too, because I believe in laughter. I think laughter is the best medicine of all time. Yes, it is. He has made us laugh, and I know he made many of his classmates laugh. Mason had a tremendous friendship with so many people. Now, I'm going to actually ask Amanda this one to start off. What would you say is the most rewarding and most difficult part of raising a son with your condition or autism? It's watching the progress that he has made since he was diagnosed at two. We've been through many, many different therapies. I would say the best one we've been through is ABA. He started out at 40 hours a week when he started at the age of four. Last year was the year we transitioned out. We found out. That did not work for him at all. He became very, very aggressive at school. We brought him back within three weeks and did part-time. And as of today, actually, which makes me very emotional, but as of today, he gets full-time hours again, which is absolutely incredible. But it's just watching the progress he has made. He became verbal with Little Star. They potty trained him. It. Just amazing watching the things he's able to do. As I say, let me see my friend. Can you help me? Hey, buddy. How you doing? It's actually past his bedtime. So, um, Can you help me, Kevin Moffitt? No, it's just... good to see you on here. When he realized Mr. Moffitt was on here, he had to come talk. Well, I, I love it. I love it because Dallas will come by my room. <laughs> and he'll remind me that when they bring cookies, I got to pay money for it. <laughs> He's able to make his own lunch now. We're still working on, you know, going out into the community, but he is a runner. So that's a huge thing. It's just little things like that that he is getting better about. If you don't mind me asking, since you live in Bloomington, have you looked into Project Lifesaver with him? He has Project Lifesaver. He has been on that since he has been four. Okay, gotcha. The reason I ask is ours is the same. 
season elopement. So yes, they actually didn't have it in Greene County, which is where we're actually from. So he got it through Bloomington. He does actually have Project Lifesaver. Good deal. Hi. I'm too afraid. His academics, watching him with his academics, he's on point with all of that. Watching that is just incredible. You guys were talking about academics. He's an AB student up until this year. This is the first year his grades have just been just a little down. So, which we're working on that. I'm going to go back to someone what's, I can't remember who said it, but like someone said, as long as they're, you know, I think it was you actually, Alexis, as long as they're trying, what else can you ask for them? To be honest yes, with you. and he does try and he gets homework help in the evenings. All righty. Now, next question I actually have is for all of you, and this is an open-ended as well. So for all of you, what advice would you give to other parents who are raising a son or a daughter with a condition? You're going to have, as a parent, regardless what kind of condition it is, you're going to have ups and downs, emotions, challenges. Just take it one day at a time, and all you can do is the best you can that day, and no tomorrow's a new day. This is going to sound not very deep at all, but just try to stay calm when someone comes up and gives you a ridiculous explanation for your child's condition or a ridiculous cure for your child's condition. Because sometimes if you're already having a bad day and your child is having a particularly bad day, but you have to leave the house and then someone's like, oh, is this because you did this while you were pregnant? Or have you tried this miracle cure? I would say learn to smile because sometimes that's all you got when those people walk up to you when your child is playing in an ice chest at walmart and some old lady decides to go scold him and he shoves her down and the cashier goes well that was deserved you're just like oh my gosh and you have to (laughs) smile you have to go apologize to this old woman but you still have to smile there are days that i fake it till i make it oh yeah We're coming out the tail end of some real high aggression. So for the last seven, eight years, we've been faking it till we make it. And sometimes it is a minute by minute progression. Mm -hmm. There are moments where we're really high. Xander is laughing. He is hysterical. He's considered nonverbal. He can cuss like a sailor, but he is considered nonverbal. And he is funny. And then it'll just swing the other way. And we know if we just smile our way through it, we'll get back to that high. And that realization is still something that every day I'm like, I just got to smile. It's what I tell all new, newly diagnosed parents that I meet. It's like, you just got to smile. You just got to love them through it because it's going to get better. It's going to get to a point where you're going to be okay. And that's what I think is like part of like my original point. It's such a roller coaster ride as it is. And yes, there are incredible highs and such deep lows. And then somebody wants to give you their input that they have no business giving about your child. It's just sometimes that's really difficult to swallow. So I guess they, my biggest piece of advice to somebody would just smile, say thank you, and walk away. (laughs) Don't argue with them because then that makes them. You turn to the Hulk. Let's put it that way. Yeah, that makes them hulk out on whatever food they just read about being bad for you. That makes them defend their stance all the more, but they really just smile and walk away from those people. You're going to have enough challenges as it is. Don't deal with them. In a much more different way, 
I faced that same challenge. I have two biological children and four adopted. And I will have people say, is that your real child? Oh, my yeah. God. He's, he's not a fake child. He's my real child. No, th- they'll say, no, no. I mean, are you really their mother? Uh, yes, I'm really the right. I mean, people sometimes are just so clueless. Yes. But, but like you said, you got to smile. For me, the one thing I would say to another parent is so often during this journey, you can feel isolated and alone. Even if you really look around and you don't see people, you need to remember that you are not alone. There are so many other people walking the path right ahead of you and right behind you. Finding ways to connect with those people matters. For me, I didn't get to do it physically because when I tried to join certain societies and so on, they said, no, your child doesn't fit these boxes. She doesn't belong here. She doesn't belong there and she doesn't belong anywhere. Therefore, you all don't belong. That threw me for a while, but then I realized, okay, fine, you all don't fit anyway. So I started to build a connection with people online and I found some of the most wonderful people online. There are people who are there walking the path, who are holding your hand even as you hold theirs. So find ways to build connection, find groups, find podcasts like Sam's. I have a podcast as well. It's called the Special Needs Parent Podcast to talk just about our context. And that validates some of our experiences. And it says it's okay to have the highs and lows and it's okay to love each other because that's, I think, the big lesson through it all. Yeah, because building connections makes you meet people that you were meant to meet almost. And fate has a weird way. I think fate is in, is kind of special in that way. I agree okay. with that, Sam. And stepping stepping out of the mode where I was in with being Mason's parent. My older son, Chris, was killed in a car accident. I am in multiple groups where parents who have lost their children are together and we help each other. So I agree wholeheartedly with the connection issue. You are never truly walking this path alone, no matter what path in life it is. Reach out to others and you can help them and they can help you. I would 100% agree because, I mean, Help is help, and I've had to use help my whole entire life. I'm sure everyone has, even those who aren't on the spectrum, even parents who are on the spectrum have had to have some all. I mean, Amanda said it herself that she used ABA therapy. Now, I am kind of curious with this one. It's maybe kind of a funny question, also kind of a true one. So I think in terms, society does not care, I think, sometimes about our autism because they have expectations. So I guess what I'm trying to word and get to is how do you manage their discipline, I guess is the way to put it, when it comes to their autism. I know it's kind of a strange question, but I couldn't figure out another way to word it. I hold Dallas to the same expectation as I hold my 15-year-old. And I've stated that even in school with our principal and all through school, I've told our staff at school, I expect him to be treated the same as any other child. And he's had his fair share of trouble in school. I don't want him treated any different. He loses TV, computer, like I'll just put it out there. He got kicked out of school here recently. So when he got home, he knew he was losing the TV, the computer, all electronics. And he lost it the day he was kicked out until he went back to school. So it wasn't just that one day. It was Mm -hmm. all through. I don't think he should be treated any different. I mean, some people might feel differently. Maybe I hold him to the same standard. I think it's situational, but I do the same thing that you do. And I mean, let's face it, taking away electronics is such an easy discipline. 
to in my opinion it's got to be what they want and that is his favorite thing is mm-hmm. the computer tv whatever so that yeah. is what i to take that's what i'm saying I, I i do the same exact thing yeah what i like about this day and age is you don't have to raise a hand take away their phone it's the end of the earth he ain't a kid <laughs> But I just know that I have, my, I have my own views on raising hands against child. It's I'm a no-no against it. I'll be 100% honest. I've never been for that, granted. I mean, because I'm a big softie, I, I mean, I don't I don't know. But I guess that I just, I don't think you need to go there. I'm kind of getting too excited. I think we need to all take a break. So we'll be right back, folks. Uh, we're going to hear an ad from Unlocking the Spectrum. So let's get to it. At Unlocking the Spectrum, we are committed to making the highest quality ABA therapy accessible to all children with autism. We pride ourselves in offering fun, compassionate, and data-driven programs for individuals with autism and unparalleled support for their families. Our personalized approach means that every unique child is given just what they need to reach their maximum potential. We are so happy to support Sam in his mission of taking the stigma off of autism. You can learn more about our services and employment opportunities in both Indiana and Texas at unlockingthespectrum.com or by calling 855-INFO-UTS. That's 855-INFO-UTS. All right, folks, we're back. And you'll definitely, if you check them out, you'll definitely unlock the key to success. Now, Curtis, I want you to start off with this question. So it's kind of slower to the discipline one, but a little different. So you have four kids and one of them is on the spectrum. So my question is, how do you hold that child to the same standards as your other kids? And it says like, how do you know like, okay, he's kind of, he's, he's being autistic in a sense i better help him out versus punishing him i was, I was thinking about the last couple of questions my dad told me a long time ago never be the first one to speak because you don't know how stupid you are i don't think we do anything different there's a part of me that i will fight the school and burn it down if they mess with my kid like that's the dad in me i worked there so that would really stink because then i'd be out of job but I, when it comes to discipline, I, I think it's just the exact same as any of my children. It is sad to say that taking away a phone is the end of the world. I can't remember the last time I even like grounded him. There's there's times I'll, I'll say, hey, give me your device. Because the way you got mad and slammed the door at your mom and I talking or the way you, it doesn't happen very often. But I do know like when it comes to academics or when it comes to discipline, I try to be the same for all but i also know i have to treat them differently like i have a daughter when it came to grades up until the last two years covid kind of ruined some things but then she's been going through some health problems as well that we're trying to figure out that's going to take time but her grades have slipped but before that she was an a student a very easy a student so her expectations for herself were that high isaac's a lot like me it's like i passed that's the end of it like a doctor who passes is still a doctor so when it comes to discipline There are expectations I have of each one that are different, but that's because each one is different. But I think overall, ultimately, I think it comes down to it's the same. One of them talks back to me, it's going to be the same punishment. We found out today he's five foot eight and three quarters, and I'm 5'11", so he's getting pretty close to dad size. I've got really bad knees. I don't think I can take him in a fight, but my fifth grade daughter who wants to just sit on my lap and hug me and love me, I could take her easily. So I just think that discipline... It varies from each one to each one, but ultimately it's pretty similar. I'm gonna make them suffer. That's pretty much what it comes down to. You're you're gonna you're gonna act like a fool. I'm gonna take your phone. But for one of my kids, he's like, "Whoopee! I'll go outside and play." So then it's like, "All right, I gotta find something different from him." 
don't know. I think it says you gotta solve the puzzle. You gotta solve the puzzle. For me, at the very beginning of having a child, it was I was reading books. I was reading with my wife. You know, when she was sleeping, I would read what to expect while you're expecting. I was on websites tracking how big my baby was and her stomach. I mean, I was trying to do all this stuff like. I even remember the day we went into labor or when she went to labor, I was there just cheering her on. But like, I remember looking at the computer screen going, Hey, you're having a contraction. And she didn't need me to tell her that. I think I would tell people like, Hey, you're not going to have all the answers. You can read, you can go all the websites, you can do everything, but your kid is not a data. Your kid's not a number. It's a mini you. Like Isaac and I were talking about autism today and I was like, buddy, you know, you have autism and you're autistic, but there's so many varying things on this that don't let that be a stigma. I like what I just heard. Like, that's not who you are. Like, don't get caught up in all those labels and stuff. Like, that's that's not who you are. So I try to tell people like, look, you're going to be a mess. You're going to have good days. You're going to be sad one day. I felt like a failure. I felt like I did something wrong. But I think ultimately it just comes down to, I love this kid with everything I got. And I do the best I possibly can. If you don't like that, don't talk to me. This is an open-ended too. How have your spouses helped you out? My spouse is my ride or die. Andy is so incredibly involved and there all the time. He may not know all the lingo that I know because I handle all the paperwork, but he is at every single meeting. He never missed one baby appointment. He never missed one therapy appointment. He know, oh, he missed one baby, he says. And the doctor was scared that something was wrong with him. But he never missed any of those therapy appointments. He never missed any of the big checkups. He's always there. And if I have a bad minute, he's there to take over. If I have a bad moment, he is there to comfort me. There's no two ways about it. And I try to do the same thing for him. I suck at it, but he is always there. He is definitely my ride or die. May I ask, you say he gets involved with like the therapy and with all the children, but how does he get involved with just Xander specifically? Because I'm not trying to pay any special attention. I'm just like curious, has he helped you out with therapy and something or? Oh yeah. So Xander has gone through speech, OT, DT, recreational music all of that he's been through all of these therapies and for every intake for every exit interview for every big meeting that we've ever had he's always been a part of it and he always asks really insightful questions he always has a different point of view because he grew up with his diagnosis he wasn't diagnosed till he was 10 11 years old so he had to learn all of those things as an older child. And so he looks at them a different way than I do, who didn't grow up with a diagnosis. So the way that he thinks and the way that he processes stuff offers a whole nother view. And he's like, well, what if Xander's thinking this way? And I'll say, well, what if he's thinking this way? And we'll compare our notes and we'll kind of whittle down what we know about Xander because he can't tell us if he's got a headache, let alone whether or not the therapy is working for him. Mm-hmm. So between the two of us, we whittled down the information that we have. And we're like, okay, this is what we think. This is what we're going to go with. His insights are just worth more than anything to me. And I think it's beneficial to have a parent who I thinks like him in a sense, almost. It definitely is. It also can be detrimental because Xander can push Andy's buttons quicker than anybody I've ever seen. And it doesn't lose his cool. But if there's a moment where he comes close to it, 
Xander's going to be the one to push him. Let me, let me ask, has there been times where you both like thought like the opposite, like she's been like, where you've been like, oh, that makes, that makes sense now. Or where he's been like, oh, that makes sense now. Yeah, definitely. We've always each had our aha moments. We've had opposing aha moments where I'm like, oh, he thinks this way. And Andy's like, no, he thinks this way. And we're like, we better figure this out because we don't think the same. And we'll go back to the drawing board and kind of restart and be like, okay, how did we get to this conclusion? And like you said, it takes trial and errors, I think, sometimes. It does. But as long as you come up with an idea, boom, you got it. Sean showed up for us. He always was 100% there. But a strange thing happened. He started to take on certain roles that traditionally people see as the female role. And I found myself taking on so much that was a masculine role. And we come from a society where we have very traditional lines of how males and females operate, especially from this East Indian background that I'm from. Doesn't work like that here. So Sean is the one that Emma would accept food from. She wouldn't accept it from me. When we got the tube out and we started to feed her, there'd be times that only time she would drink milk or eat would be from him. So he's the one who would bathe her, who would change her, who would massage her, who would feed her. He's also the one, she's nonverbal, but she says dada. And I remember a couple of years later when my mom started to come around, she said, don't you feel bad that your daughter only says dada? And I looked at her and I said, no, I don't feel bad. I feel so happy that my child is able to express a choice and a preference. She could choose Dada any day because that makes my heart so full. Dada is the best of me. Sean is the best of me. And I don't feel jealous about it. I feel so lucky because it could have been worse if it was me alone dealing with this. And he might be quiet and he might drive me nuts because I like to pop things out and he doesn't. It's not perfect, but he's just so solid and so quiet and so simple. And I think that complements the the loud, boisterous kind of person that I am. Let's be honest here. I mean, I think what you're doing is great. I think the fact that she knows it says saying something. Amy, actually, we'll start with you. So um, my question for you is how can you tell, like, if your child is being like, okay, they're being a 16-year-old, but, or if they're having, like, an autistic moment, I guess is what you call it. That's one heck of a question. And I would say it was complicated because we really came into a lot of those teenage moments when COVID hit. So then we were becoming a teenager and COVID hit and everything became extremely isolating during that time. So we were dealing with bodily changes and autism and COVID and online school. I don't know what a traditional answer for that would be. We just went day by day. How can you tell? Okay. Before she's about to have one of her rougher moments, for lack of better words, one thing she does is she really starts clenching her fists or holding on to the sides of her clothes. So that's something that I know that's when she's about to have a really hard autistic, like she's close to that breaking point for her um, autistically. If it's just a teenage moment, that's just teenage sass. That is the interesting question. Yeah, there's a lot of teenage sass still going on. So a lot of it with her, I can tell by body language. That's actually a really good answer because it's the same way for me. I mean, when I was at at that age, I probably did a lot of sass myself, as you call it. (laughs) But there were times where I'm like, I just tell you straight up, like, that's how I'm. I'm like, okay, I'm doing this because I cannot help it. Type of person who tells the truth. Like, if I tell you I cannot help it, I cannot help it. So luckily, the one thing is we've really been working on with her is just to say, you need a break and walk away. 
that's one thing we developed over time where she will actually leave the classroom and go sit in the hall just till she can rega- regain her composure to whatever is going on. And for her, her main trigger is noise. So like her worst day in the world is when there's substitute teachers because everything's louder, typically behave less when there's a substitute teacher. That is like the worst day of school for her. Worked with a lot of her teachers and everything. And it's just, if she's saying she needs a break, she's not cutting class. She will walk right back in as soon as she regains her composure. But she does need to walk away for a minute. When she's at home, it's absolutely, I can tell by her body language. But then the other half of it is teenage sass. Right. I was ready to say, I was wondering how can we all tell the difference? And it's hard to tell the difference, I think, at times. No, no, not really. <laughs> no, Maybe for kidding. you. Yeah, but... <laughs> the buildup sometimes is hard to tell, but when you're getting, you know, when it's getting more, more tense then I can really tell because she can't hide that tension from her arms and her hands and her shoulders. And that's when I know which direction she's going. Now, Sam, we're ready to move to you. So the question I, and again, open-ended is how do you show your child that it's okay to embrace their differences? Well, it's a bit of a challenge for me with Xavier. Like I say, he's nonverbal, so everything is 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 has got to be touched. And he'll look before he does something to see if you say yes or no or it's okay. That part is pretty simple because he'll make a gesture towards something, and if, if I say no, he'll look at me, and then he'll start like nod his head back and forth and then try to laugh because he knows once we're laughing, he pretty much gets his way. But if I don't laugh and I say no, and he won't do it. So I guess you could kind of say he's kind of manipulative that way because if, and if he really, really wants it, what he'll do is he'll he'll come up and he'll hug me. One of our things has always been nose kisses. We've been that way since he was like two. And he, he'll she'll start nose kissing me and I'll know then he's trying to get me to, to let him do what it was that he wanted to do. And it's never anything dangerous. It's, it's always something like he loves popcorn and he loves going to Walmart. And like I said, we'll be going to Walmart. And before we go in, I'll say he can get two things. And all through Walmart, he'll pick up two and he'll trade them out. When he sees something else that he might want, he'll take it out and put it right, then take that out and then put that right there. Like that's the challenge of being him being nonverbal. But like I said, most of his stuff is, is hand gestures and, you know, sign language and things of that nature. At least he's not kind of like, hey, get all the popcorn. He's like, Got all the bag here. Let's go. <laughs> he understands his boundaries, but like I said, he'll he'll he'll, he'll if he grabs the popcorn, and then if he sees a bigger bag or a different type of popcorn, he'll put that bag down and get that popcorn. So it'll make sure that he's got at least two. You ain't a kid. He is the big dirty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he is. I am curious about this. So, what would you say is the most beneficial tool that has helped your child succeed? with their autism it could be the therapy the aba it could be their bed it could be whatever i mean what what tool what would you say is the tool that helped him out the most teachers that look beyond his autism and really work with him his most successful i think he learned more from the seventh and eighth grade than he did up until the more than he did when his high school years because he had a teacher named i'll never forget him his name was jimmy houston he was just super with the gladiator because I used to just pop in, you know, just to see what was going on. He learned his colors, and he learned how to sign the colors when he would say them. And it was just, I think, so his temperament is, is and, and how he was with Xavier, he would come by the house on his days off, like through the weekend. And here was a cool thing. Xavier was his best man at his wedding. Oh. Yeah, and the resource officer that was there, 
His name was Officer Lovingood. When he was, he had been with Xavier since he was in the eighth grade. And when Xavier went to the high school, he became a resource officer at high school. And he developed a relationship with Xavier as well. So when Xavier graduated, the teachers and stuff were literally crying because he had touched them so much. And that's what he does. And that's what I tell people. He'll steal your heart and you won't even know it. But he has an effect on people. I mean, he's, he's sort of like a mini celebrity around this little small town that we have. Because I went from being Sam Hutchins to being Xavier's dad. That's what I'm known as now. Not Sam Hutchins. That's Xavier's dad. And I think the support that the community gave him, like I said, that one teacher, really, because he looked forward to going to school every day. He would get up, wouldn't have any problem getting him ready to go to school because he wanted to go back to that school. And in high school, it was kind of a little bit different because, you know, some of the students were afraid of him because he was so big. He was so much bigger than they were. But he would not hurt a fly. He's just, like I said, he's such a gentle gentle soul but sometimes they wouldn't want him to go on field trips and i would tell him no i'll go and help chaperone i'll go with him because that's the one thing you have to do especially with the iep means you have to advocate for your son uh, and and like i said don't assume that he can or can't do something because he has autism give my child a chance that's all i ever asked him for but that was i would say that the biggest thing that that helped him was people's patience and temperament to see beyond his autism and see him, meet him where he was, as so to speak. I would say for Dallas, it would be ABA. They have been with him since fourth grade. And not many schools around our area allows ABA in the school system. We've been very fortunate that our school system allowed them to come in. So they have been with Dallas 40 hours a week, including in the school. He's wow. had that one-on-one. They've worked with him even on breaks. And they went out into the community with him and worked with him in the community. That's definitely been our saving grace with him. They became family to us. I don't know what we would have done without them. They have taught me to help advocate for Dallas in ways that I didn't know how to do. I would encourage other families to do ABA. I know a lot of people don't believe in ABA. And I understand the reasons behind that. I have researched it myself when I heard other families say they don't believe in it. I researched it. I highly recommend it. Go into the center and just observe. That is one thing I did unannounced and announced. I also go into the classroom and watch our therapists. I ask our teachers to make sure our therapists are doing what they're supposed to do as well. Not just allow whatever to happen. But that has been our saving grace. I don't think he would be where he's at today without them. In our context, we don't have funded programs or therapy available. A lot of the time, it's been fighting just to get a diagnosis of if she can see or even basic things that I think would be the standard of care somewhere else. And sometimes people just, they lay down this diagnosis and they're like, okay, get your child out of here. That's the end, you know, that sort of attitude. I think that a big thing that opened up possibilities for M was just us learning to tune into our intuition. Even when you don't have the services, or even when a service is being offered, your intuition guides you to know how to tweak that service. Because sometimes things, your child comes home and and she has our therapy. You become the therapist for the rest of the month. And you have to be able to look with these eyes that observe how she's responding, that observe when she's having a positive response to something you did, or to even spot what the response is, because sometimes her ability, she started to move one millimeter at a time. She used to be like this and unable to move. 
hands out like on the cross and legs down. She couldn't move for years. She would see tears coming down, her mouth open and she's screaming and no sound comes out. She's in pain and she can't even say a single sound. It began with a truncated cry. She would just go, ah! And the day we heard that, that was a blessing because my child could tell me she was in pain. So we started to understand, okay, just tune in with your intuition. Just observe, just meet your child where she is. And that has helped us to say to people who said, this is a diagnosis, she never will move past here. We don't accept that. Let that diagnosis lead me to research and to learn new stuff and to adapt it and to bring it home for her in whatever way that I could afford to do it. Recently, we've been saving up and affording like one or two sessions a month in something called the Anabanil Method, ABM. That is, strangely enough, matching a lot of what we have done, but now it's a formal method that I didn't know existed. They talk about stop trying to fix your child. Instead of fixing, connect. Help your child to connect. And that is about observe your child's response. Observe when what you do speaks to your child in some way. And she gives you a response, whether with her body, with her eyes, with a tensing of her body. It doesn't matter, or with a voice. But spotting it and then letting her know, I observe you doing this. When I started to do that more consistently, she started to laugh. Because for the first time, she knew mommy was seeing her. She was living in a different world. And all of a sudden, mommy was acknowledging, I see you. I see your response. You can't speak to me. It's just in your way. And so those are the two things, I think. Your intuition never counted out. You may not have a title. But see, parent, that's the most powerful title. I agree you with you 100% because that's what we want. And I'm not going to say your child, but every child wants to be heard. And I know for those on the spectrum mainly and for the ones with conditions, I know Mason, I bet, wanted to be heard. I know your child wants to be heard. I know Xander wants to be heard. I know Dallas wants to be heard. I know Isaac wants to be heard. I know that these wonderful children want to be heard. And it's hard when no one does it. I mean, I've experienced that myself. I experienced being excluded on the playground because I was different, which, not pretty days. Believe me, I didn't know how I got through them some days. I wonder that. You have so much to teach some. You have lots to support people with. That's why. Now, the ones who got to go to school, what would you say is the most beneficial tool that helped them in school? Was it extra time on test? Was it, as in your case, Ali then taking a break? Or what was it that helped them out? It depends on where you want to go with that question. Um, like like school tools, like with their IEPs, did they get like go to the resource room? Okay. or Obviously, there was absolutely an IEP. And when she would have, what is the politically correct term for a breakdown? When they meltdown. Just, meltdown, thank you. When she would feel a meltdown coming on or a meltdown would be starting, she would go sit out in the hall until that meltdown was over. And then if it was just too much, she would go to the nurse's office. That was the number one tool. And we didn't figure that out until I think the end of first grade, beginning of second grade. Um, Kindergarten did not go well, but we figured out, first of all, because what we were trying to do is we were working with our current teacher to try to figure out, okay, something's triggering this. And we were just learning as parents. She had just got diagnosed. We're like, was it a movie day? Were they having assemblies? Assemblies probably aren't a good idea. She would take a coloring book to the nurse's office instead of go to the assembly because noise hurts her. I mean, there's just stuff you have to figure out as you go, but definitely the IEP, them understanding that when she needs a break, she needs a break. She's not skipping class. And that was something I had to advocate for a lot. 
And I will say there's a few specific teachers that were the absolute biggest blessings, especially you get that diagnosis and you have to learn, you have to react, advocate and everything because your child's already in the school system. But I still didn't understand what that included. But luckily we had some absolutely wonderful teachers during the meltdown going out, removing her from whatever stimulus was causing that meltdown. Then it became, okay, I see this coming. Can we get her removed quick enough to prevent the meltdown? And then it was her at 16 being able to say, I need a break and removing herself from that situation before the meltdown happens. And that was a huge success. So I'll tell you what helped me with noises and I'm not saying do this to your daughter but a suggestion this it, it, is kind of funny but it helps with me because I hate a lot of noise I hated fireworks hated it but what changed my mind I'm not kidding rock and roll music I'm not kidding that's what really changed it see and this is the one thing that I think is so hard is because certain things you think oh that's going to be way too much stimulus but the girl likes to play drums But because she's the one controlling the percussion, she knows when that noise is going to come. That's different because she's the one creating that noise, exterior noises. So she can play drums in the basement and that's fine. But exterior noises, that's a whole nother level. Yeah. Yeah, She doesn't like the trumpet going like unexpectedly. Oh no, trust me, her little sister started playing trombone. That was a heck of a couple of weeks there too. You're like, honey, you don't have to go to the trombone and do that outside, dear. Oh, the neighbors would not appreciate that. I just took my eldest for a drive. Well, my youngest practice because it was just too much. Because I don't want to take away from my youngest. I also don't think, I try not to do that either. Cindy doesn't like the trombone noise. That's great. Well, that doesn't mean that Emma should not get to try an instrument. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'll tell you so, this. As a mother, you I, did the I right just, thing. You did the right thing. Yeah. I just try to make accommodations. If that makes you feel any better. You 100% did the right thing. To accom- try to accommodate yeah. my kids. You mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm complimenting you as a mother here. I know you are, sweetheart. Thank you. I know. My next idea kind of inspired Moffin and Dallas's connection <laughs> here. So, and it kind of reminded me of relatives. So, I have very supportive family. They've supported me with all I've done. So, how have other family members of yours supported your? Love child with autism and Chris, why don't you start off, man? Honestly, I haven't really noticed much of any I haven't noticed much of any grandparents or aunts and uncles treating them any different. I think sometimes sometimes there'll be comments that he'll make and we'll kind of like step back going, hmm, that's not in this bubble of conversation, but somehow it fits. And then we'll try to figure out how it fits. But I, I, I don't notice any, the grandparents, the uncles, his siblings, no, nobody treats him differently. There are types felt that the cousins maybe just like Mr. Hutchins, just the, seeing somebody that big in high school is going to develop natural fears. But I think sometimes cousins or even kids in school just have experiences with Isaac that, I don't know if afraid is the right word, but they don't know how to take some, it. Huh? Yeah, yeah, they don't know how to take it. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. And I think that's the biggest thing I, I was trying to, I was going to kind of get into last time was that's my biggest thing as a teacher is I feel blessed that Isaac's been in my life because now I look at students way differently than I ever have. For years, I was a youth pastor. And then now being a school teacher, when, when students come into the classroom, I don't look at an IEP coming into seventh period. My seventh period class are usually students who are in inclusion or on medicine. And they even, several years, they have called themselves the dumb class or the messed up misfits, the island of toy misfits. Like they recognize 
recognize themselves because they're branded that way by peers. I do my best to stick with the whole, you know, treat everybody the way you want to be treated. Don't treat people the way that people treat you. And so when these kids come in, I try to look past, like I have one student who can't sit still at all. He rocks himself nonstop. He bounces a ball. I mean, it's, it's one of those like, I can either get mad and yell and scream and say, sit down, do your work. Or I, I can try to figure out how to read this kid. And, and knowing that this is going to take time. This isn't something that happens because I read it in an article in a paper or a magazine or a book or I looked on his file at school. This is something that just kind of take a relationship building process. So I think for most people, when I see it at school, when I see it around the community, people treating people poorly because they just don't know what's going on or they don't know how to fix a kid. I think it's ignorance. I try to cure everything with comedy. So I'll grab these kids and dance with them in school or I'll play the guitar with them or we'll make up lyrics and just something stupid. That's one of the reasons what I like about it is I'm like with you and my mother. My mother will sometimes be as crazy as, you know, heck, you've seen it probably firsthand. Yeah. But it's just that while it drives me nuts sometimes, I'll admit it. For the most part, I get into it because I just keep saying it. laughter is what makes people happy. It makes people forget about the treacherous times they're going through. It's hard. I'm in middle school with kids and high school kids. I know they got a hard, you know, I I tell them all the time, when you guys graduate, there's no such thing as being cool and there's no such thing as popular. You're an idiot. You're a loser. You're trying to make it through life. So that's not being like mean. That's just realistic right there. (laughs) And as weird as some of us are, I mean, it's no normal. So it's just one of those, you might look at me as as a weirdo or you might look at me that way. It it doesn't bother me. Like I'm happy. I love my life. Yeah. And the fact that you're gracious, like I can tell in your eyes and heart, like you love everyone. I I try to. I try to. Now, which one of the parents has had experience like dealing with their child being bullied? You're first, Amy. So how did your child combat bullying? Oh, come on. I can't be the only one to put my hand up. Oh, no, I'm just kidding. I don't know. This is not going to paint me in a very lovely light, Sam, but I'll do it for you. When we were at Taekwondo with you uh, that same year, a boy who was a couple grades older than her kept pushing her down at recess, and he was physically bigger than her. And this boy was not dumb. He would do it when the teacher wasn't looking. So then it was he said, she said. He would wait till the teacher was not looking, and then he actually put his hands on her. So she did the right thing and went through the reporting steps and all that jazz. And I actually went to our old instructor because I kept kept telling my child to fight back, but my child wouldn't fight back because she was so afraid to get in trouble. We did everything the right process. We used all the tools in that school that we were supposed to use to combat this bully. It was not working. We used all the system, okay? We did the paperwork, the reports. It was not working. This kid was smart. Finally, I took my daughter into the private office of our old instructor. And I said, I'm hoping she'll listen to this from you because you are also a parent. And I explained what was going on. And she also explained to her, no one has the right to put their hands on you. And then I think she gave Cindy that little extra ounce of courage. Now, the following morning, I called the principal who I had always respected and got along with really well because I always held my kids accountable and tried to work with the system instead of against it. I really, truly did. But this time, the system wasn't working. So I kindly 
explained to him that we tried to do it their way. Now we were going to do it my way. And I had been paying $250 a month for my daughter to learn how to defend herself. And I told her to do it. And he politely explained to me that she will be expelled for three days. I said, go ahead. I will take her shopping. I will take her to get a pedicure. I will take her wherever she wants to go because we've, we've done it your way. And I go, and I know this isn't your fault. And I go, and I've never been a teacher. I go, I can't imagine trying to keep control of 60 kids on a playground, especially when they're seven and eight years old. I can barely keep track of two kids. So I get that. It's not the teacher's fault that they can't see everything at once. But I made it very clear to him that for one, if my kid was going to be punished by the school, I would not back them up at all. And I encouraged her to stand up for herself. I don't know what happened after that, but it never happened again. Well, that's good. And this, this is my view personally. I think what we do is this run, tell fight. So my, the first is run. So I think the first time it happens, you try to put it on the bridge, you let it go. Yep. Second, you tell. I'm like, okay, yep. you know what? I've had enough. I'm going to tell an adult because I don't want to get in trouble. And it's exactly. just the best thing to do. Third, no one listens. All right, I warned you. <laughs> and like I said, absolutely, please understand that that was an absolute last resort. But like, how far were we supposed to let it go? You know what I mean? So we did the running. We did the try to being friends. We did the reporting it and telling a teacher and filling out the bully report and everything. And nothing was changing so yeah you don't go straight in a fight mode i agree with you there but if it's a last resort you as a human gotta do something you gotta make a statement yeah this was an absolute last resort and like i said i don't know what happened because i am not that child's parent but it was over and you could have called mr boss maybe that was the maybe you should have done him next <laughs> they're like hey bostick i was yeah it was her office it wasn't him we talked to mrs oh oh yeah she helped me convince my child that it was okay to finally defend herself and that nobody was allowed to put their hands on her oh yeah props to her for for that i mean lots of props i had her on the show and yeah just just phenomenal people i mean mindy knows as well they were all phenomenal i mean just yeah. Helped me a lot. Yeah, she stayed late one night to help me try to get this point through to her that nobody's allowed to touch her, so. Do you think yeah. there was something that Bostick said that, like, kind of made the light bulb go on? I think sometimes we tell our children stuff so much as a parent that they just quit listening because we're their parent. Sometimes your, your children need to hear something from somebody other than you. And that's, it's, it's a very, very true phenomenon. So I'm telling her over and over, it's okay. I don't care if the school def- suspends you for three days. And she just couldn't get past that thought. So hearing it from someone that I knew she respected other than me, that made all the difference in the world. Now I actually got a question for Mindy. So in your bio, you say you had to go through some educational fights for Xander. So I want to know these educational fights, to be honest with you, because I think these need to be heard. When Xander was 10, he hit puberty and we started getting real high aggression. We were having some trouble at school. We were seeing the aggression at school. We weren't seeing it at home. We were getting reports from school that everything was fine and dandy, that it was just right. He was right where he needed to be. And then IEP came due in April, and all of a sudden, we're hearing reports of, well, Xander's too aggressive to be in this classroom. We can't handle him anymore. We can't keep him here. He's not safe. He's too big for us. And it was the first time that we heard it. And we were like, whoa, 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 back it up. And got some clear explanation and went through some other fights with that teacher. That particular teacher was actually fired because she never even updated the IEP. She didn't do 
anything she was supposed to do. He came home magically with a black eye. They couldn't tell us where the black eye came from. They told us it happened on the bus. We looked at the bus footage. He sat in his seat the whole time on the bus. It was bad. So the school system came back and said, we have this room. It's an ABA-based room, and we would like to try Xander there. Well, we had been pretty compliant with the school system up until this point. We had let them put Xander in the first star-centered room, which was an ABA room, and he did great. So we were like, okay, after we saw some observation, we went and toured the room and met the teacher and everything, and I was like, okay, I got over my objection at the school, and we put him in that room. Well, his aggression started coming home. We started seeing more and more and more and more. His teacher was phenomenal. His one-on-one aid was phenomenal, and they did the best they could. They were all pretty big men that were handling him. It got to a point where every day for six months, I was getting phone calls that I had to come pick him up. Because he was aggressing on the school bus driver. He was aggressing on other peers. He was aggressing on the teachers. The minute that I would get there, he would stop. That year, the IEP came due. The special education director looked us in the face and said, your son doesn't belong in public school. He doesn't deserve to be in public school. We're going to pay to send him to Daymar. Daymar, for those that don't know, is a school that focuses on autism, but also has a high rate of juvenile delinquency in it. And they were like, this is where we're going to send him. And the reason they wanted to send him there is because Medicaid would pay for it. They wanted to be rid of him and they wanted to not have to pay for him. We retained a lawyer at that point and we went through what was called due process and we sued the school system so that he could get a free and appropriate public education. It took about four months because what we asked for was for the school system to pay for him to be in an ABA center here in town. We did not think we were asking too much. We did not want the teachers hurt. We did not want the bus drivers hurt. We did not want other peers hurt. We wanted him in a safe environment that he could still thrive in. And for us, that was the ABA center. It was at Reach High. They had agreed to take him. They wanted him. He had been there for a summer and he had done really good there. And we had talked to Audra and she was like, yes, bring him. We'll take him. About four months into it, we got word that the school system was willing to settle because they found out who the lawyer was and that he had never lost a case. So we settled. We didn't settle that hard because they gave us everything we asked for plus more. And that's cool that you got him somewhere safe. I'm glad you didn't take him to Del Mar. I'm happy with that. Very happy with that. But my question, I guess, to you is, when you obviously got that label, I imagine it devastated you. It did. At three and a half, it was devastating. But I wish I would have told you right now, I wish you would have, and I know you didn't know about it a lot. I wish you would have taken him to Eastern. Eastern Green, I'm just telling you, would have done phenomenal with Xander. I'm just telling you that based on my experiences. Because we grew up with MCCSC, we had a regional difference of hearing. I understand. I'm just saying, I just, I think our school would have done phenomenal with him. And I know Xander would have made like great friends. I know Mr. Moffitt, he probably would have loved Xander. Oh yeah, hands down. I'm sure he would have. It would have been great. The great thing is, is that this agreement is still in place. Xander is still technically in school. The school system still pays for him to have 40 hours of ABA a week. They pay for it year round. We just had his IEP meeting last week. Nothing is changing except for his goals, and his goals were all written by the ABA clinic behavior therapist. The money doesn't even come out of the school system. We sign documentation that allows the state 
itself to pay for it instead of it coming out of the school system's budget. So the school system's argument that he was just a number and that he was too expensive went out the window. No child should be labeled dangerous. I don't care how mean they are. I don't care how, if they can't help it or not, they should not be labeled dangerous. That's crossing the line, I think. At the time, it really felt like it. Looking back, Xander was dangerous. He had put multiple people in the hospital. He had concussed multiple people. And he was only 10 years old at the time. We were not seeing these behaviors at home. And we couldn't get, we didn't have the waiver in place yet. We didn't have all of these helps in place that we have now. For him to be labeled that way wasn't like it hurt, but we knew it was true. But that's why we fought so hard for him to be in a safe place so that we knew that him being labeled that way wouldn't be a detriment. We laugh because every year they're like, well, when Xander comes back to public school and we just giggle because we know there's no way he's ever going back to public school. This last week, they finally kind of accepted that fact. There was a brief mention of it and then they corrected themselves and they're like, but we look forward to working with Rise for the next three years. Because he is now at Rise Autism Therapy Center. So. And that, that's awesome. And they're a good clinic. I, I know that because they sponsor me, so I'm honestly biased. <laughs> but <laughs> they're amazing. They are amazing. Right? Kirk and Connor are the reason that Xander can have a haircut and the reason that Xander speaks as much as he does because they were his RBTs when he was at Reach High. Okay. May I ask, how do they help Xander like get to the point where he's like, okay, I'm cool with the haircut? Repetition. Like they would give him his haircut every four weeks. Every four weeks, he would come home with a haircut. One time it was five weeks because Connor almost shaved him bald. Oops. And then I got I got a text. Yeah, I got a text message from Connor saying, I may have cut Xander's hair a little too short. I'm going to cut mine to match. Because oh, the that was nice. It was super sweet. The edger came off the clippers, and so it cut it too short in the one spot, and he had to make it match. Hey, at least he didn't give him a mohawk. He'd be like, <laughs> it would have freaked him out. It would have been hilarious, but it would have freaked him out. Now, I want to get my good old friend Sherry back here. So, Sherry, we haven't talked about your other daughter, Michelle, who's had open heart surgery. Can you tell us about that experience a little bit? Michelle was also adopted when she was two years old. And we knew that she needed open heart surgery. So we were going to do that as soon as we got her to the state. In August of the year before we adopted her, I started having this need to just feel like I had to pray for and pray for. Well, when we got over there in April, the, the next spring to adopt her, she'd already had her open heart surgery. But the thing about it is, is they did it under her right arm and no one, the doctors over here have said they did a phenomenal job. They don't know why they did it, where they did it, but she's been totally released as far as she doesn't have to go on antibiotics before dental appointments or anything. She's been totally released. She uh, played basketball and was all county and all of that stuff. So, and now she's a United States Marine and she's a corporal in the Marines. It hasn't bothered her in the least. Good for her. And the fact that she went from having open heart surgery at Riley Hospital to being a Marina corpse, that's an accomplishment. Actually, her surgery was over in China. It was going to be here. They had gotten a grant from Love Without Boundaries, and those doctors had done her surgery. So it was done while she was at the orphanage. And when we brought her here, we had her checked by multiple pediatric cardiologists, and they were all just amazed at how well it had gone. That is awesome. And my thought led me to my next question, which is, can all of you name at least one success, and there are probably tons, that your child has accomplished in the last month? Like, 
maybe a milestone they fit you could share with us? My daughter went to a dance and I know that doesn't seem like a big deal, but in order for her, and she only stayed for an hour, she went to homecoming, the homecoming dance, and she only stayed for an hour. And then she texted me that she was ready to come home. And yes, she had construction earplugs in to help with the noise. She had the high quality earplugs in, but she was actually able to go to a dance and be there for about one hour. But like I said, we've done so many years of her getting used, knowing when it's too much before it is too much. She was able to walk outside and text me to come pick her up. And we're right down the street from the school, so it wasn't a big deal. But I mean, does she get decent grades? Yes. But that over the past month was a big deal. I would agree because it takes a lot to do that. It took a lot for me because I'll be honest, there was a high chance that I was going to go to prom. I chose not to because I know I get excluded. But I'm just saying if I did go, that would have been a step. So definitely say she has more courage than I do when it comes to that. Well, it's the noise. And yeah, she gets excluded and bullied, but yeah, she had a lot of guts. She might have autism, but she's stronger than I am. Uh, This wasn't within the last month, but one thing that I was so proud of Mason, he wanted to, his sister Michelle showed horses and did contesting. And Mason wanted to show in contesting and run the barrels. And so we fixed the saddle with some blocks of wood in them to make his feet reach because his of his leg not being as long as it should be. Even with the stirrups up, it didn't work. But anyway, he rode the barrels, did excellent. He came in like, sixth or seventh but it was like out of 12 people everybody was saying to me how on earth can you trust your child to be on that horse and I said he wants to do it I've always told him he could do whatever he can push himself to do he can do and so I let him do it that's great I I used to run barrels and I know how hard that is Emma makes one sound which is ah uh, other than Dada. So in the last couple of months, we were trying to communicate with her and we asked her, do you want mommy to sing for you? Because she loves her hearing came back and she, she has playlists and she loves music. So I asked, do you want mommy to sing for you? Basically, I sing Deck the Halls, Christmas music all through the year, Happy birthday all through the year. So I'm like, do you want mommy to sing Deck the Halls for you? Yes. Ah. Uh, so she has to say ah uh, if she wants it or withhold. So that was the first time. And she actually said ah. Uh, and so now she's able to tell us yes or no when we ask her questions. Oh, that's cool. It's really, really amazing because she loves it. And so do we. So now when she has pain, I ask, is your tummy hurting? Are your hips hurting? And she's able to say ah or not make a sound. And we are able to get so much more clarity from her just from one sound. Dallas has started to be a little more willing to try new foods. He is a very, very picky eater. He actually was in food therapy for that. I feel yeah. If that makes me feel like that, I was a picky eater from a long time. My food until a while back, not a while back ago, but from a young age to a while, a while back was hot dogs and mac and cheese. Dallas is like pizza, but it can't have anything on it. He takes it all off. Bologna, some fruit, Cheez-Its. My daughter Michelle used to peel her chicken nuggets. So you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yes. I'm glad for him. So it's been almost a month exactly that we have gone without having to use the PRN Valium for his behaviors. At one point, we were at almost four a day just over a year ago. We have finally gone a solid month without having to use one to calm him down. What's, what is a PRN Valium? I never heard of it. it. It's a a Valium. Oh, it okay. A, okay. Yeah, it's a med to help him calm down. Well, he's doing a lot better than I am right now. My anxiety hasn't been the best right now, I'll be 100% honest. So kudos to 
and then all of all of the um, children for their accomplishments sin- sincerely. Well, folks, I think we're going to take a break and we'll be right back. In the t- Bloomington, Indiana, you can find the best barbecue meat at Great White Smoke. Owned by Dave White, Great White Smoke offers meat catering for events such as weddings and birthday parties. They've won awards such as the 2021 number one food truck in America Grand Champion and the 2019 Kentuckiana Barbecue Pitmasters King of the Q. If you're looking for someone to cook meat for your event, then Dave is your guy. Book them for your next event at 812-229-7571. You can drop them an email on their contact page as well. All right, folks, you're back. And yes, if you check them out, you'll hear smoke on the grill because believe me, their meats are really good. Now, guys, we're going to wrap it up here. So these are just for fun and these are for all of you. So my first one to you is what is like your paradise meal or favorite food? And why is it your favorite? What about the taste do you like? Steak. How do you like it? Like a sirloin, T-bone, ribeye? I Ribeye. And I want it medium rare. I want it to melt in my mouth. No offense. Doesn't ribeye have a lot of fat on it? Yes, it does. And I love it. All righty. <laughs> <laughs> the fat's not for everyone. The fat, I can't do. I do a filet mignon. Those are good, too. I like spaghetti. Spaghetti? You like it with That's the meatballs, parmesan, or? No, I like my spaghetti with meat or olive gardens, no meat. So I'm from Trinidad and Tobago, which is the Caribbean, and steak and all of that is fine with me, but I like my island food. We eat a lot of, half of our population almost is African, half is East Indian. So there's African food that I love, and there's also East Indian food that I love. You can pick up some actually in the States, in Trinidad and Tobago restaurants. I like doubles, but I love dalpuri and curry. Give that to me any day and I'll be fine. My favorite food would have to be leftover Thanksgiving foods. Like, it's always better the second day. And the it fact really is, you don't have to share it with anyone as much. Well, like, all the flavors got to sit there and meld in the fridge, and then you put it on the microwave plate, and you don't have to rewash or recook everything. Second day Thanksgiving is the best. That's the all best right. food. All right, I'll, I'll go with that. Thanksgiving's pretty good. What about th- Now, what about on a Thanksgiving dinner? On a great family Thanksgiving dinner... What's the tradition meal you got to make? Is it the turkey? Is it the mac and cheese? Is it the best pumpkin pie? I mean, what, is it, what do you think your family is known for for a Thanksgiving dinner? I said anything my mother-in-law makes. <laughs> I said green bean casserole. Green bean casserole. Is that your favorite, Sherry? It's one of my favorites, but I like the white meat turkey, too. Oh, yeah. Turkey's pretty good. At Thanksgiving or Christmas, in my family, I always bring the green bean casserole. I bring other stuff, but that's one thing that I always bring. All right. Now, the next personal question, again, for fun, is for all of you, what is your favorite movie or TV show, and why do you like it? My favorite has always been Braveheart. It's pretty gory, but for some reason, I love it. I don't know that I have a favorite, I guess. You can pick one or um, anything that, any new movies that you like, that you thought were pretty good based on the trailers? Outlander, but the books were better. Like, read the books before you watch the show of Outlander. Outlander was good. I really like Parenthood for obvious reasons. The new movie, Where the Crawdads Sing, that's good. I read the book, but I didn't see it yet. Of course, if you read the book, I I always think books are best because your imagination can do all the work with you. But I had not read the book, and I watched the movie, and I loved the movie. I didn't hear what Mindy said was his. Oh, Lilo and Stitch. You went with the old Disney, right? (laughs) I am diehard Disney. Don't worry, I I know a lot of people who heard Disney, so... I'm all right with Disney. Some are good, some are bad, but I gotta admit, I gotta say, I think Lion King killed it. I'm, I'm sorry. Lion King, hands down. The animated or the live action? Animated. Always. 
always live action was i didn't see that because that was okay and plus my brain i couldn't wrap around it personally i couldn't get behind the concept now what has been your favorite vacation that you have ever taken and why did you enjoy that vacation very much andy and i went on our honeymoon to disney world and then we went to miami shopping best vacation ever my son Mason and I just recently took a cruise and went to the Bahamas. I'm a huge Tennessee fan. I went to Tennessee several times. Where at in Tennessee? Because I'm just telling you, we recently got back from Nashville. Nashville and Gatlinburg. Oh yeah, Nashville was a killer. Did I went to the Opry and I got to meet Chapel Heart. Sorry to brag, buddy. I've been to concert they have every year. Um, it just slipped my mind. But I've been there. Best one for me is going to the beach. We take Emma and Brian, my older son, to the beach once a year, rent a place and stay for a week. And we were using that to desensitize her to the sound of the waves and so on. The one year she actually squealed and started to move her legs in the water. So that's Mm -hmm. absolutely amazing to me because the sea brings us together and it also really lights up. I also have to say Disney. We took them when they were six and eight and Disney has great accommodations for all different children so we were really able to avoid too much sensory input just a little bit of research so I I have to go with that this is the final one and it's kind of a broad one so are there any good memories that you want to tell our viewers about if you do why do you remember that memory the most now before everyone answers I like to end this with like a good memory that made you feel good inside like melted your heart and just made you like a feel good you thought about all the world's distractions and a funny memory that made you fall on the floor laughing and it could be with yourself with your children with your husband with an autism moment your call you guys want to answer it okay here's my funny one when my son was one and a half he would climb up our gate at six in the morning when the garbage truck drove through the neighborhood and he would yell at them to say good morning but he couldn't say words properly so dump truck came out sounding like dumb (laughs) 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 so my son was there yelling for the neighborhood to hear as if he was Uh, cursing people and calling them dumb Okay, I'm going to be honest. That one took me a second to get that. You you got that on video, right? (laughs) I didn't, but I tell everybody. So that's the funny one. And the the fun one is a Christmas one. My father was six foot tall and Christmas would come and we'd have this six foot tree and I'd be so tiny and he'd lift me up and he'd fly me like a plane to put the star on top of the tree. That felt like he was the Superman. And I was so light and I had no worries. That has remained with me as a really happy memory. So my funny memory is once again at Disney World, we took our three oldest, our youngest wasn't born yet. And Xander was still little enough to be on a kid leash. We had just tucked his leash in and we turned around and there was Winnie the Pooh, who was his favorite Disney character. And, or I'm sorry, it was Tigger. And he ran and jumped on Tigger. Tigger about fell over. (laughs) Because he jumped on him so hard. It was the funniest thing and probably one of our happiest moments at the same time. Because <laughs> he made that connection and he wasn't afraid. And if you think about it, it wasn't an old man going, oh my god, who? Oh! Yeah. <laughs> Tigger stayed in character and just went, woohoo. <laughs> he must have been a really good Tigger. <laughs> he was a good Tigger. Yeah, Tigger's handler was not handling it very well. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he's like, uh, okay, buddy. And they were like, uh, what do we do? They had no idea what to do. It was phenomenal. 
Optimus was like, you know what? He's having a blast. This is Disneyland. I'm at it. <laughs> well, my kind of funny and uh, sentimental memory at the same time, my oldest son, Chris, when he was maybe two and a half, where we lived, you walked across a little bridge and there was a little small patch of woods there. And he was playing out in the yard at the swing set and I was watching him. And then I saw him going across the bridge over there. I could see where he was going. But once he got behind a little bit of brush, I couldn't see him. So I called to him and I said, Chris, are you lost? And he said, no, I just can't find where you're at. So I was the lost one standing in the house. <laughs> you're probably like, oh, uh, where the heck are you? So we're playing hide and seek now. Okay. Yeah, it was it was comical because he, he he wasn't lost. He just couldn't figure out where I was. And I was in the house. And you sure started right? playing Marco Polo. Marco Polo. <laughs> I'll say a funny one. I mean, it's not hilarious, but I found it hysterical. My daughter is brilliant with numbers. Not so much themes and plots, but numbers. She's really, really good with numbers. And when she saved her first, uh, saved up her first $100, we told her we'd take her to the bank to open her first savings account. And she was like maybe eight or nine. And we explained all kinds of stuff to her before we went. And she un actually understood it because she just, it's like, she's like a little calculator. She goes and she sits in the chair and we stand behind her because she's being all grown. You know, she's opening her first savings account. And the lady sits down behind the desk and starts talking to her like she's a little child. And without missing a beat, my daughter goes, what is the annual percentage rate? <laughs> like dead serious. And the lady just looked up at me and I go, well, answer her. Like, <laughs> I didn't know what else to say. Uh, well, are you sure you're, no, I'm a calculator. Answer the question. <laughs> yeah. Like, like if you ask her what, if, if it's a type of question where they're like, what was the author thinking? She can't, that's conceptual. She can't do that. But if it's numbers, she's on, she's on that. Has she and, memorized pi? Like. Has she memorized the pie? Now that would have been phenomenal right there, like 3.14 more. No, right now we're learning all different computer codes, which is scary. I keep telling her, just make sure you use your powers for good and not evil and we'll be fine. <laughs> the next thing you know, in your basement. Hey, what's know. Sweetie? Uh, nothing. I know. I know. You're a darn man to teach me, though, some math. I can't do math. I'm the total opposite. Like, with English, I could probably help her out, but he's going to be doing my math. Yeah. yeah. As long as it's something that's black and white in automatic pattern to it, she's fine. Conceptual things. Well, it's definitely a good lesson because it's like someone said once. When you meet one person on a spectrum, you meet one person on a spectrum. It's not everyone. Mm -hmm. I don't really have a funny story that I can think of. It could be with Dallas. I know, I bet Dallas, he, I bet he cracks you up sometimes. He does. But I think just being on the spot, I can't think of one. I would say probably the sweetest memory I have of everything is probably because I was told I couldn't have kids, um, was probably giving birth to my daughter. In all honesty, because like I said, I was told I couldn't have kids. So just having my daughter is probably the best memory I have. I can help you with a funny memory. So Dallas was with his, was, he was either with his dad or with his therapist. I can't remember which one, but he was attending the special needs night. He won, he spun the wheel and he won a duck. I don't know if he's, he was with that, but I don't know what was on his mind, but when the moment he, I'm going to say about this now, but um, he won the duck and I think on his mind was a bath. He was thinking of a bath straight up. And I asked him, and I was like, hey buddy, how you doing? And all that. And I, he responded with, and I'm not, and I'm not kidding. And I quote, 
this would be a great toy for my bath. I thought, yes, it would be. And I thought, well, that's Dallas for you. Yep. <laughs> he scripts a lot. So, yeah, there you go. And I it didn't bother me, but I just thought, well, we know Dallas is going to have a great bath tonight. <laughs> well, guys, thank you guys so much. Is there any closing remarks or anything you'd like to promote before we head out of here? I just wanted to tell you, thank you, Sam, for inviting me and for all that you do to recognize autism and other special needs uh, you're welcome and it's the least i can do yep, One, i never got the you. opportunity to do something good up until about what year was it 2019 thank you and keep up the good work you're doing great things i'm so glad to finally be in touch with you sam thanks for the work you do thank you for the invite sam i felt very honored to be with this group of select parents of yes, course thank you Thanks for joining me for this episode. Please tune in for another episode coming very soon. Hope you enjoyed listening to me ramble. Thank you very much.